Well, tonight I'm in a little better shape than I was last week when I tried to speak and kind of, I'm still, still a little congested. We got a concert coming up. Bradford, uh, we'll be at Bradford uh, Bean Supper singing uh, Friday night. So we're looking forward to that. So if you like to come out, you need to come out and support Bradford anyway. They'll be having an auction and bean supper. So come on out there and do that and be a part of that. And uh, <coughs> we'll have a good time. <coughs> Last week we uh, heard from the book of John, chapter five, verses uh, chapter five, verses nineteen and thirty, that Jesus made some claims, six of them to be exact. He said he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be the giver of life. He claimed to be the final judge over humanity. He claimed to hold the destinies of every human in his hand, and he claimed that he would raise the dead. And he claimed that everything that he was doing was the will of his Father. Bold claims for just any ordinary man to make, for sure. And tonight, we're going to enter the courtroom. We're going to enter the courtroom where Jesus has been put on trial. He has been brought forth as the defendant. The law and the Pharisees are the prosecution and judge. And you here tonight said as the jury. You are the jury. You see, the Pharisees are continually seeking to destroy Jesus. You'll find that further back in our readings in chapter 5. And although, all, and all throughout history, man has created laws, and he has enforced those laws through the court system. Their true purpose has always been to discover the truth in any given situation. But, of course, we have all seen at one time or another that truth is irrelevant to a judge, a prosecutor, and a jury that refuses to accept the facts. When the facts aren't accepted, then the truth may never be known. So why are we here in this courtroom today? And we find, you're going to find our reading in John chapter 5. But before we get to that reading, it's because this man Jesus and the laws he supposedly were breaking. That's why we find ourselves in this courtroom today. Witnesses were questioned and it was found out that, that this Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. And not only had he healed a man, he had told that man to pick up your mat and walk. And it was unlawful for a man to pick up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. But when he was asked, who told you to pick up your bed and walk, he didn't know right away. Only that the man had healed him and, and had told him to pick up his bed and leave. But later that man met uh, this man in the temple, he met Jesus in the temple and said, oh yes, the man's name was Jesus. And Jesus was doing this on the Sabbath day, so the Jews began to seek even more to kill him. They were continuously seeking to kill him. But Jesus said to them, my father never stops working, so I work too. That's why Jesus worked on the Sabbath. This made the Jews try even harder, though, to kill him. They said, first, Jesus was breaking the law about the Sabbath, and then he said that God is his own father. He is making himself equal to God. So they are throwing a charge of blasphemy on there too. So rather than haul Jesus to a real courtroom, the temple officials and the Pharisees have brought Jesus into this makeshift temple courtroom where, the where they are the judge, and they wanted the people to be the court of public opinion. And maybe they could persuade the people that day that was sitting here seeing all of this going on when the Pharisees were asking Jesus these questions. Maybe they could get them to side 
with them. And they could decide what to do with Jesus. Tonight, you will have to decide what to do with Jesus because you are the jury. And as we enter the courtroom, here are some instructions that, that the judge might give to the jury. You've heard the claims. We just said them. You've heard some of the evidence against Jesus, but for good measure, here they are again. He broke the Sabbath law. He caused another to break the Sabbath law. He claimed to be equal with God the Father, and he claimed to be the giver of life. And he claimed to be the final judge over humanity. And he claimed to hold the destiny of every human in his hand. He claimed he will raise the dead. And lastly, he claimed that everything he does is the will of the Father. And Jesus makes these six truths about himself. All which point to a, a single overreaching declaration that demands a response. And Jesus claims equality to God. And when he did it, he left humanity no room for compromise, no middle ground to stand upon, and we must make a choice. We must choose to believe or to reject his claims. If you choose to reject his claim to deity, then you must choose between two alternative explanations. Either Jesus knew his claims were false, or he did not. He either knew his claims were false or he did not. If he deliberately misrepresented himself, then he was a liar of the worst kind, evil to the core for demanding worship of his peers. If, on the other hand, a mere man genuinely believes he is God, then that man has completely lost his mind. He is utterly insane. So those are your two choices there. If you choose to believe his claims to deity, though, then you have to choose between Another pair of alternate responses, rebellion or trust. Accepting the facts of who Jesus says he is without trusting him for salvation puts you no better than the demons because they believed who Jesus was. They believed who God is. They know the scriptures, but they hated him with fear and trembling, it says in the Bible. And it's possible to believe in the existence of God and even accept the truth of his becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ, yet rejecting his grace. And that he suffered and died for your sins. You can believe all of that without believing that he died for your sins and suffered for your sins, right? Humanity has always attempted to gain entrance into heaven on their own. Right? They think that if they're good enough, well, they'll get into heaven and their goodness will make it. Their goodness is good enough to get through those gates. But sadly, the road to hell is full of people trying to get in there on their own merits. Sadly, the road to hell is full of people trying to get into heaven on their own goodness. And they're going to die and they're going to perish and they're going to go to hell because they believe they're good enough. The response demanded by the Lord is to accept the claims of Jesus as the one and only way to heaven. The one and only truth. And trust him and receive his free gift of eternal life. The choice is up to you what you do with Jesus tonight. So now enter the defendant, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you have to say for yourself in your defense? So Jesus begins to speak, and this is where we pick up our reading in John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another one who bears witness of me, 
And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive the testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you are willing for time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which my Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness to me that the Father has sent me and that the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor have seen his form. Boy, that's an interesting statement right there, isn't it? Let that soak in for a minute. But you don't have his words abiding in you because whom he sent. Him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the very which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If I come in another's, in his, if, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receives honor from another one? And do not seek the honor that comes only from God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, and he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus opens up his case by quoting the principle of the uh, principle of the Jewish court proceedings. I bear witness of myself. My witness, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In the do and don't book of Deuteronomy, you'll find in verse nine or chapter 19, verse 15, we'll find these words right here. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Jesus did bear witness of himself, but he knew they wouldn't believe his word. They wouldn't take him for his word. He knew, however, that they would accept from more than one witness and that from a multitude of witnesses that the indisputable proof, the truth, could not be denied. So he is going to bear forth some witnesses of who he is. You know, Jesus never sinned. He never really told a lie. His witness of himself was true, and it was accurate, and it was good, but it wasn't enough. So he brought to the stand even more witnesses for the burden of proof. So it would be undeniable of who he was. Jesus brings forth his first witness, and it's none other than good old Johnny B. Johnny B pops back on the scene. You have sent to John, and he has bore witness of the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. It was Johnny B. whom you questioned, and you asked, Who are you? And he told you he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, well, who are you that you may give an answer to those who have sent us? What do you say for yourself? 
He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, or Elijah, nor a prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, is preferred before me, whose sandals, straps I am not worthy to lose. And these things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And then the next day, John, he sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain on him. He is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John says these words right there at the end of that in John 1, 34. And I have seen and I testified that this is the Son of God. So John's the first witness that you've just heard from, and he brings some good testimony of who Jesus is, and he says that he is the Son of God. And that was John's testimony concerning who I am, Jesus would say. But I have more witnesses to call. I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given to me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. I enter these facts before you, a crippled man of 38 years who you know and you have seen and was just healed is now able to walk. One of our own noblemen, one of your own noblemen, called me to heal his son, and from a distance he was healed. Well, maybe he heard about by now the water that I turned into wine. Maybe that rumor has spread around a little bit. But for you in the house tonight, Jesus would say, maybe you have heard and read where I healed Peter's mother-in-law or the blind man Bartimaeus. Maybe it was the casting out of demons into the pigs that you've heard about or the woman with the blood issue or how I healed the deaf man and he was able to talk or the lepers that were healed and cleansed from their disease. Now, when we went to that leper camp and we seen those lepers with most of their Appendage is gone from them. But I got to thinking about when Jesus healed the lepers, their fingers came back. It wasn't just a rash that disappeared from their skin. He healed them from their leprosy. That means their feet came back and their hands come back. And his works do testify of him. Or maybe you'd heard about my friend Lazarus, who I called out of the grave just four days after his death. Or maybe you have heard recent testimony how I freed someone from their addiction and saved their soul from an eternity in hell. Or maybe you have heard that I had died and on the third day rose from the grave. The signs and wonders, I do bear witness of who I am. You have believed in them and believe also in me, Jesus says. But Jesus says, I won't stop there. Jesus says, let me bring another witness before you. And Jesus lays the Bible on the stand. 
He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you have eternal life. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. He brings the word of God out and he lays it at their feet and says, this here testifies of me. This is my witness. Isn't it like Jesus to offer up a challenge here? He said, go ahead, search the scriptures. Look, here they are. Read them and see if you can find out who I am. For they would just, they would just search. If we would just search out the scriptures, we would know who Jesus is. If they would have just searched out the scriptures, they would have known who Jesus was. Possibly concluded that Jesus is the Son of God. But Jesus also says, go ahead and search the scriptures for the criteria by which you claim you can merit your own salvation. Because it's not there. You will run right smack dab and you will encounter the word himself when you search for yourself of your own salvation because it's not there. They speak of me and me alone rather than read the word of God as a means of knowing God. The Pharisees, you have taken these laws that you love and made them your God. And Jesus continues and says, let me introduce my next witness. You know him well. He led your forefathers out of Egypt. His name is Moses. And the Bible says, Moses, you trusted. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You will recall the, the so-called violations of Moses' law, which brought me here into this courtroom, Jesus would say. But Moses himself never intended the law to become an end unto itself. The law cannot become a means of self-made righteousness because no one can keep it. No one can keep it perfectly. The law can only indict. It never justifies. Moses predicted the failure of the Israelite people and he promised a savior would lead them. If he would only heed their words, Moses said, if they would only heed my words, but he knew their failure was coming because they would not listen to the words that he wrote. Moses wrote, wrote these words right here in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 19. He says right here, the Lord, your God, will rise up a prophet, capital P, like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all your desires of the Lord, your God, in Horeb that day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of my Lord, nor let me see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will rise up a savior. I will rise up a prophet for them like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I command him, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. These scriptures, he says, they testify of me. I am the prophet of which the scriptures speak. I am that prophet. I am that savior that the whole scriptures talk about. But then Jesus says, can I call one more witness? Can I call just one more? 
I call my father. I call him to the stand. And Jesus said, there is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And that's a good reminder that when we find the Lord in the Old Testament, we're probably looking at Jesus. Because even Moses asked the Lord, he said, God, let me see. Let me see your face just once. He said, if you do, you will die. But he said, Moses, he said, I'll, I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you because I like you so much. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. And when I pass by, you'll see the tail and you'll see my glory as I go away from you. Moses got to see just the glory of God. He didn't see God's form. He didn't see God's face. He never did. No man ever has, according to what the scriptures tell us. When we see all of those sightings in the Old Testament, when we've discovered all those sightings in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and on and on and on, we have seen Jesus, our Savior. It was the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus who said, I am that true witness. He witnesses of me. He said, it is true. And the Father himself who sent me, he has testified of me. But you do not have his words abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. The Greek word, up there in the very first, he said, there is another who bears witness of me. That Greek word, alos, it means another of the same sort. Another of the same sort is another, that other is God the Father. This means without denying completely unity or oneness with the Father, Jesus, right here, introduces the Father. He introduces the Father's testimony as an independent testimony. It wasn't his testimony, it was God the Father's testimony because he was another of the same sort. If his accusers objected, they would have had to admit that he and the Father are indeed one being. But by failing to object, his accusers had received the independent testimony of the Almighty into evidence. Boy, Jesus is a good lawyer. He's a good witness and a good defender of who he is. Jesus is a good advocate. Amen. God, through the prophets, prophesied of Jesus. And each of these prophecies were precisely filled. From the place of his birth to the virgin birth to what he would be called to the signs that would appear. Even he would be rejected by his own people. And even how he would die was all predicted. So Jesus, being charged with bringing forth his witnesses, closed with this as his closing argument. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send me, he says, his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And he who believes in me is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. The charges, they've been made. The evidence has been given. The testimony of the witnesses has been heard. And tonight you must decide what to do with Jesus. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in his life? Do you believe in his death? Do you believe in his resurrection? Or do you just turn him away to leave you to a death that leaves you in an everlasting hell? The decision tonight is yours. You're the jury. You must decide what to do with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, as pigeon comes to play. Tonight, Jesus has told you exactly who he is. He has told you exactly what he has come to do. He came to save your soul, to save your life from an eternity in hell. Tonight, have you decided what to do with Jesus? Have you made him your Lord and Savior tonight. If not, you need to do so. Because the only other option is rejecting him. And rejection leads down a long, lonely road to hell. Tonight, don't turn him away. As that old song says, Jesus, Jesus, do you know him? Please don't turn him away. That's what he's asking you tonight. If that's you, the altars are open. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you how you can accept Jesus into your life and be your Savior and Lord forever and ever and ever. But as a Christian here tonight, let me ask you this. What are you doing with Jesus? If you have Jesus, what are you doing with him? Are you sharing him? Are you telling others about him? The altars are open for you. Maybe you need to just come and pray and just lay down those burdens tonight. Maybe you need to ask Jesus, what is it? Where do I need to be going? Is it here? Is it there? Is it across the sea?